This morning, I'm first of all delighted to see you all. The, this is our uh, spirit class, Life in the Spirit. It's got all kinds of names. The first two weeks, you've had the blessing, in my opinion, to hear from two of our elders, our shepherds. Um, Mike taught the first week. Carrie taught last week. And just as an aside, because I'm not one of the shepherds, I'd like to say it's such a blessing to be in a church where your leaders are very open about their spiritual lives and their struggles and their challenges and the things that have been such a blessing. And so that's part of why they've been part of teaching this class. I'll also give you a little commercial coming up. Uh, some of you in the summer heard Andy Reese teach class. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks in July. And Andy and his wife Susan go here to Otter Creek, but Andy has a different uh, life experience and background as far as his teaching. So he is going to teach two weeks in October, two in November, and two in December uh, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then about walking in the Spirit. And so, um, and I think the thing that's so encouraging about that is, I know for me, it's a different perspective. And shame on me if I, you know, am 60 years old and think, well, I got this figured out. I don't want to hear anybody else's uh, perception about this. Uh, I got a feeling I would really miss out on some wonderful things with that kind of mindset. So, this morning, we're going to talk about... Um, walking in the spirit, but we're going to talk about uh, something a little more specific about ourselves and how we interact with the spirit. So first of all, I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, years ago in the 60s, my mom and dad were young. My daddy was an executive with Reynolds Aluminum, and they went to this big fancy convention party where, you know, you wear long gloves and evening dresses. And so my mom was nervous, and so she's interacting with some of the women and she's trying to be sure that she's, you know, uh, engaged and interacting. And so one of the women said, oh, this week I had the most interesting thing happen. I had the most beautiful litter of Siamese kittens. And my mama said, that is so interesting. Where were they joined? <laughs> <laughs> to which she said the minute it came out of her mouth, she thought, mm-hmm, that's probably not what they meant by Siamese kittens. Um, and the reason I tell you that story is I truthfully sometimes feel like when we talk about this conversation with the Spirit that maybe I'm hearing one thing but thinking something else. Maybe I'm missing the message or I'm just not hearing it right. And that's why I just... Um, and I think you probably all are too, but I'm just so consumed with pursuit of understanding this. Uh, and that's really why we're all in this class together. You know, and here's a simple fact. Our experience shapes our theology, right? If we grew up in an environment where, and I, this was my environment, the Spirit was basically, they told us this was the Spirit. He did His thing. He wrote the Bible. He handed it off, and then I don't even know exactly where he went, but this is, this is the Spirit. Um, but then you interact with uh, Andy Reese, who has a more charismatic background, and he talks very differently about his interaction with the Spirit. And so I think, have I missed something? All I know is God is my Father, and He loves me deeply, and He will reveal to me what I'm seeking. I believe that with all my heart, and I think that's why we're all here together. So, 
As a recap, Mike, a couple of weeks ago, introduced a concept that I think is really very important to us this morning, and that is this. From Scripture, we know that we are composed of, and, and this sounds very simplistic, and it's way over my pay grade to get more complicated, but let me just say it simply. We have our physical bodies, the flesh, and the flesh is driven by desire. It was you know, this morning, what a wonderful sermon if you haven't heard it about. God made us, and it was good. He made our physical bodies. We have our soul, which comprises our mind, will, emotions, our personalities. Every human being has a soul that is part of them. And then we have our spirit. And it's with our spirit, the Holy Spirit works. Okay, so I'm compartmentalizing things and I'm doing that for a reason. We've got our flesh and if we are leaving things up to the flesh to control and direct or our soul, which is our mind, will and emotions, the seed of our personality. If that's where our direction is coming from, it's a mess. Okay, it's doomed. How many of you have ever done something based on emotion and later thought, what the heck? You know, that was not a good idea, right? So that's our human nature and the direction that we go. But all of us have in us a spirit. And when we are baptized into Christ and are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, then that's where he makes the connection with us. Okay, is everybody with me there? All right. So when you have that mindset, it's interesting how certain passages then kind of hop off the page. For example, Hebrews 4.12. Uh, any of you good Church Christ people grew up memorizing Hebrews 4.12. For the word of, act, word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's right. Everybody knows the verse. It divides. Uh, let me look at it make sure I'm doing it right. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything's uncovered laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So it's saying the word of God, which is not this, it's, it's the word coming from God, which is the spirit. It divides, it's sharp, it goes in there. It is a living, acting, moving activity happening within us. Think about the passage in Romans chapter eight. You know, Romans has a lot of conversation about flesh and spirit. One of my favorite passages, and we all can identify with Romans 7, where it says, the very thing I want to do, I don't do it, right? And the very thing I don't want to do, what do I do? That's the very thing I do, right? Uh, if you ever read it, it's kind of a tongue twister. Now, I've always called it the what, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck burst because you go the thing I want to do is the thing I don't do, and the thing I don't want to do is the thing I do. And then he goes on in Romans 8, and he talks about, but... Boy, do we have good news. We've got the Spirit that's going to dwell in us and help us separate those things out. In fact, if you hear, let me read to you verses 9 through 11 in Romans chapter 8 in terms from the message. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God the Spirit of Christ, they don't know what we're even talking about. 
But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, the limitations of your body, the limitations of your emotions, you experience life on God's term. The Spirit is living in you and you become alive in Christ. That's the description of allowing the Spirit to come in and work in our lives. So, once again, though, the question is, there's a lot of directions we can go with this, but the thing I want to talk about specifically this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, is how we discern the difference between a conviction from the Spirit and condemnation from Satan. All right, the difference between conviction and condemnation. Years ago, I heard a lesson about this, and it stuck with me forever. And I got a handout, and I made you all a copy. So you could put it in your Bible and haul it around too, because this was a very profound thought to me. And that is this. When, when I have a thought or a feeling or a prompting, or I see someone on the street and I think, should I speak to them, should I not? I believe the more that I listen and pay attention to the Spirit, the more He wants to work in my life, right? But I also believe there is someone else working in that Satan, and He will take things, and He will twist them, and He will confuse them, and He will distract me. He will take my mind, my will, and emotions, and He will... What about the passage about quenching the Spirit? That's what happens when we let these other things crowd out the voice, crowd out the prompting, then we miss the blessing of the whole thing. So, you know, good old Webster, he's going to help us out here. The definition of conviction is when by the Spirit we are able to see ourselves as God sees us. Conviction is a word that we don't like to talk about it, right? We don't like to talk about guilt. Um, we don't want to make anybody feel bad. But the work of the Spirit in my life is to say, you know what, today, when you handled X event the way you did, that was not from me. He's convicting me, right? Because He wants to transform me into the image of Christ. He wants me to be God with skin on, with everybody that I come in contact to. But if I'm not listening to Him, He can't do His work in me. All right, so is everybody with me? That's what we're talking about is conviction versus condemnation. And here's the thing that's so precious about this. It's personalized for us, right? So if I am a person who is impatient and have a quick temper, the Spirit is going to personalize this conviction for me. He's going to work with what's going on in me. It's not this kind of blanket, everybody gets the same sort of message thing. It's extremely personalized just for me. All right, so I need somebody to hand these out right quick. Oh, look at all these wonderful, these willing participants here. Although, you're always serving. Yeah, she's a servant hog. This is the handout that, um, that I'm telling you about. The difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit and condemnation of the devil. All right, so let's just kind of talk through this list right quick and so you can kind of get an idea. And, you know, certainly you're going to have to flesh this out more completely later. 
Think about it. Oh, did I not make enough? Sorry about that. Everybody share. We're all a class of sharing people. There you go. All right, so I guess the thing is, the reason this paper was so helpful to me is because it gives me something very specific to think about when I am feeling a conviction or I'm feeling guilt, right? It's something to run it through. The tone of voice, you know what? Think about it. Let's keep it really simple. The Spirit is trying to draw me closer into the arms of God. Satan is trying to push me away from God. All right. So it has to do with the tone of voice. Do I feel condemned? Do I feel pricked? Yeah, I'm going to feel guilt, but that's different than feeling condemnation. The spirit is very specific. There is something going on very specific that you have done. You're convicted about that specific thing. Do you see the difference between that and a very generalized sense of you are a selfish person versus today when that happened, that was a selfish act, conviction, and then what to do about it. You see the difference in the two? There's a big difference between the two. One is discouraging and one's encouraging. One wants to bring up the past, bring up the past, bring up the past, bring up the past. The Spirit says, hey, I'm convicting you. We're going to deal with this, but we're not looking back. A lot of you heard Mike tell the story about um, Julie, our daughter, in kindergarten. She came home. Now, Julie, you know, you, we have three children, and Melanie almost killed her before she grew up. She was so hard. And Scott was the party guy. And we had to, but Julie was very compliant, very easy to direct, came home, got in trouble, talking in the lunch line in kindergarten. Mama got in trouble. I didn't get to pick out of the prize box. And I said, all right. And she goes, well, aren't you going to spank me? And I said, no, the teacher took care of it. I'm guessing you won't do that again. She goes, fine, I'll just go up to my room and punish myself. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, knock yourself out. But, and don't you think, don't you just think that the Holy Spirit of God is saying to you every time you mess up and you're like, that's not enough. I need to waller. And, and he's like, no, I dealt with it. It's done. Move on. That's the freedom in Christ. Number five, there's a rejection by the holiness of God that you're, you are so unholy, you do not need to be near God. That's what Satan says. You know, the Spirit is pulling you toward God. That's what the conviction is intended to do. You know, another thing is the use of Scripture. Have any of you ever heard Scripture used inappropriately in a way to beat someone up or discourage them? That is the work of Satan. And I think the reason it's so effective is because we all love the Word so much. So we're like, wow, if that's what the Bible says, then that must be true about me. But you can misuse Scripture and discourage people, whereas the Spirit will encourage you with Scripture. He'll convict you, but then He encourages you. Number seven, fellowship. I'm going to tell you something. If, it, if you cannot, in isolation, listen to the Spirit and move through life without interacting with others who help you in that walk, it's the genius of the church. That's why it's called the Bride of Christ, is because God meant for the church and for fellowship to be part of what helps us hear His voice. 
If you're isolated, in fact, Satan would basically say, hey, come over here. You don't need to be around those people. Either you're not good enough to be around them or you're better than all of those hypocrites. Anything he can do to make you isolated, he will do. Uh, feelings. Boy, Satan loves to use your feelings. But remember how we talked about the soul is where your mind, will, and emotions are. So he loves for you to use those things to drive your behavior versus allowing the spirit within you to blossom and mature and be directed by interaction of the Holy Spirit. Number nine, the devil is destructive. But the Holy Spirit, it's discipline, discipline for your benefit. And then he accuses you of having committed unpardonable sin, whereas the Spirit reassures you of God's forgiveness and the fact that it's Christ that saved you. You didn't save yourself anyway. You'll never do enough. Here's some other contrast. Satan likes to say, do, do, do. If I do this, if you do that, you have to do this. The Holy Spirit says, be. Just be. It's not a matter of doing. It's a matter of being in Christ. That's so different. The, the Satan divides. The Holy Spirit unites. You know, um, I think complaining comes from Satan. Anytime he can distract you and have you complaining about anything, whereas the Holy Spirit generates contentment. That's one of the positive things that comes from the Spirit in your life. So, if you were to have this, and let's just talk about a scenario. If you were to have this, uh, I'll give you an example. So this week I'm talking with a young woman and she says, you know what, I had an opportunity to help somebody. And I kept telling myself, tell them you'll help them. Go ahead and tell them you'll do it. And I just never followed through on it. And now I'm thinking... What is wrong with me? I never, I never agreed to do it, and I'm selfish. I'm really selfish. So, that's the thought. That's what's come to her mind. So let's take that thought and let the Spirit respond, or let's let Satan respond, right? So the Spirit would say what? He would say, okay, here's an event. You had a choice. You took the selfish route right that conviction of being selfish came from the spirit that said you know what that was a little selfish on your part not to help but what does satan tell her to do with that shame yourself. shame oh my word shame not only shame well it figures you've always been selfish in fact in general you're selfish and here's a couple of other instances where you were selfish this is just one more piece of evidence of how selfish you are you can't help it. That's right. You know what? Everybody's selfish. You know, it, it just happens. What's the Spirit going to say about what happened? There you go. Not only, okay, it happened. Yeah, I'm convicting you that that was a selfish act. But you know what? Next time that comes up, I want you to listen to my prompting to help. Right? And I want you to know... You're forgiven of that, but going ahead, I want you to listen. Right? You see the difference in the two? Let's take something a little bit heavier. You're interacting with a young man, and he says to you, he's, let's say he's uh, 30, and he says, you know what? When I was in college, 
My girlfriend got pregnant. I drove her to an abortion clinic. I paid the money and the baby, and so she had an abortion. And I have carried that around all this time. All right, so you're talking to this person. What do you tell them? What's going, what have they done in their mind? Number four. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's your reality that that's happened. But, this, but God is not holding that on you. That's not some suitcases you're supposed to carry around of guilt. But Satan's convinced him that's what he needs to do, right? Um, I really want to fixate on five. What about number five? Traction to God and... Well, re- want to, to bring him to like where's where's God in this is this something that's pulling you away from God is this something that's you know because God wants to be close to you and is this you know death great point because that's that's the crux of the matter right so this event it happened right it it happened and it's going to be part of wh- who you know about what you know about yourself but what can you do with that? What does God want to do with that to pull you closer to Him? Or is that guilt and shame? Do you think you don't, God doesn't want to be close to you? Or you use, is it pushing you away? Are you carrying it around and distracting you? I think that's awesome. I guess here's the bottom line. I want all of us... You know, I, I keep thinking, am I missing the message? I don't know about you, but I'm like, did that come from my brain? Did that come? But just walk out of this class thinking the Holy Spirit of God is working with my spirit. I received it as a gift at baptism, and He walks with me every day to convict me, to direct me in the most precious, sweet way to transform me into the image of Christ. That's how this works. But in my mind, I'm getting distracted. And I'm not sure where it came from. And I'm not sure what to do with that. And that's one reason why this was very helpful to me because as I read through this description, I thought, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm allowing to happen instead of really listening. Is anybody, are y'all thinking, what the heck is she talking about? Or is something coming to your mind, Carrie? If you look at the left-hand side of the page, those are all, those are all the things that are your birthright as a Christian. All of those things, you can expect God's discipline, you can expect yep. Him to draw, to draw you to Himself, you can, you, all of that stuff. And the other side is, is Satan, when you do something wrong, whispering in your ear, you think you're a child of God? Look what you just did. Mm-hmm. And and if and if he can be successful in that, then he tears down everything that's on the left hand side yeah. of the sheet. So you have got to just ignore that voice from Satan that says you're not a child of God because of what you just did, and claim the promise of the left hand side. Very good, very good. That that's you just described the profoundness of this to me. And that is just that, boy, it's, it's clear. It's in scripture. Um, it's clear. We just miss out. Anybody else? And you know what? Maturity, over time, this gets stronger. This 
feels uh, more part of your true self. Uh, so I don't think I've missed it all these years. I just think I've been calling it something else. Do you know what I'm saying? And this helps kind of solidify it because I think the pursuit of God is what he's pleased in and that desire to be just as much like Christ as we can be. One thing I've learned just in relation to this um, is that sin, like even in my life, sin um, can definitely lead down the road of shame, but I think kind of God's will for sin, if you will, is that he uses that for intimacy. Very good. So if I sin, I have the option of the second, this the right side of the page, or I can say, okay, God, let me sit at your feet. What can you teach me from this? How can I learn from this? And then the goal is that I actually become closer to God rather than further away from Him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It That's sounds, great. Sound, that sounds like the same thing suffering does. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's all the same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like it's a, a tool for discipline to bring about change and growth. Mm-hmm. Yes. But not even getting to his feet is what happens, is mm-hmm. you just think, I, right. I, I, I can't, I hide. Yeah, yeah, as if we could. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, we, we hide, we retreat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, well, time's up. So I've got one uh, thing I just want to read to you. Uh, Cardinal Mercier wrote, who he's written quite a few books, uh, early 1900s, and he wrote a prayer to the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to end with this. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, I adore you. Enlighten me, guide me, strengthen me, and console me. Tell me what I ought to do and command me to do it. I promise to submit to everything that you ask of me and to accept all that you allow to happen to me. Just show me what is your will. I thought, well, that kind of sums it up, right? Okay, well, our time's up. If you didn't get a copy, I can, we'll make you one or I can email it to you or whatever.